Welcome everyone to the latest instalment of the Ashurst Employment Team's World at Work series. My name is Stephen Woodbury and it's my pleasure to once again take you through topical matters of interest across our global practice group. In this, our final podcast for the year, it's only fitting that we will be focusing on what we see as likely to be the key employment issues for 2022. Now joining me as always are our panellists from our team, Judith van der Heidt from our Frankfurt office, Christina Grande from our Madrid office, Crowley Woodford from London, Jordan Cohen from Paris and Karen Mitra from our Singapore office. Now we have asked each of our panellists for their top two issues for 2022, but before we get into things, you're probably thinking that COVID vaccinations and related policies will be in the top two issues for all countries. And you'd probably be right, except that we've asked our panellists to not include COVID issues this time. So the field is far more open, and I hope that as we go through, you'll find some expected, but also some unexpected issues identified by our panellists. So without further ado, let's kick off in Germany and Judita from our Frankfurt office. There's always a lot going on in Germany. So please tell us what are the two issues you are seeing on the horizon for employers in Germany? Thank you, Stephen. Well, in our view, the top two issues for Germany are challenges for the gig economy and the Working Time Act. Few firms uh, of employment have impacted the modern economies of the Western world as much as GitWord and platform services and um, courts, politicians and state authorities of many European countries have taken a closer look at the impact of platform services and also whether they foster precarious employment relationships. Same in Germany, in, uh, most crowd workers are engaged on a self-employed basis and in the past such classification had been confirmed in the vast majority of court cases. At the end of last year, however, the Federal Labor Court now decided that crowd workers can be classified as employees under German employment law. The ruling definitely has significant impact for the gig economy. It does not mean that all crowd workers now find themselves in an employment relationship with platform operators. This is still determined on the individual circumstances of the case. However, platform operators have to reconsider their structure in order to avoid a misclassification of crowd workers. Any misclassification is not only relevant with regard to the employee status, but can also lead to substantial payment obligations from a social security and tax law perspective. Companies even run the risk of being criminally liable for intentional misclassification. At the same time, the crowd working industry should keep an eye on potential legislative action. The outgoing Minister of Labour and Social Affairs had already announced plans to improve working conditions of crowd workers in the gig economy, and this approach was now also confirmed by our potential new government. The challenges of our second topic are also primarily a result of digitalization, as availability and mobile work offer more flexibility, whereas our German Working Time Act remains rather strict, including a general maximum working time of eight hours per day, and an 11-hour rest period um, after finishing work for the day, which appears uh, to be rather difficult to observe when an employee quickly answers a business email at midnight just before going to bed, and strictly speaking, would not be allowed to start working before 11 then. In addition, in a judgment of 2019 already, the European Court of Justice ruled that all member states are obliged to create national regulations for the introduction of a comprehensive time recording system. These requirements are not met by the employer's current obligation in Germany, and the German legislator is therefore obliged to adopt the legislation to the requirements of EU law. 
This has not yet been done, and it remains to be seen how the new German government, which will hopefully be in place at the end of the year, will adjust the current Working Time Act um, to allow for more flexibility of working time schedules and um, in particular to implement the European Court of Justice's decision with regard to time recording systems. In addition, a federal labor court ruling on working time recording is suspected next year, which could also bring some movement into the discussion. So definitely something to look out for in 2022. Thank you, Judith. That's very, very interesting, particularly in relation to the recording of time, which is a feature which has been, for example, in other countries, particularly Australia, for, for many years. I was just interested, is the um, intent behind introducing these reforms uh, to ensure that people are not working longer hours than need be, and or is it in relation to making sure they're being paid correctly in relation to the work that's being performed? I, I think it's more the latter, um, because I think that was also the background of the of the um, decision of the European Court of Justice that, um, for example, in, in the moment um, in Germany, and I think in uh, many other European states, um, the employees only have to record overtime, which of course they don't do if normal working time is not recorded. So, and, and as they get paid for overtime, but if they don't record it, of course they they, they don't get paid for it. And uh, that that was the problem and the background of the of the European uh, Court of Justice's decision. That's uh, yeah, certainly a justification enough. Thank you, Judith. Very interesting coming out of Germany. Uh, let's turn over to Spain now. And Christina, what are the, the issues um, heading up for 2022 for employers in Spain? The, the main issues concerning the Spanish uh, regulations will be those concerning working remotely and working time register. Um, the law uh, on distance work established certain formalities that all the employers must fulfill in case their employees run their services remotely on, on a regular basis. And by a regular basis, it shall be understood if within a period of three months, at least 30% of the working hours are worked remotely. So in practice, those companies who allow their employees to run their services at least one and a half days per week to draft uh, an annex to their employment contract ruling the terms of such distance work. And the content of that agreement is specifically set out by law. It's much uh, set out a, an inventory of the means and equipment provided for employees, the working hours, the duration of the agreement, compensation of expenses, etc. The failure to comply with this obligation to formalize a written agreement on the remote working, if detected by the employment inspection, can be sanctioned with a fine up to 7,500 euros. Besides, from a health and safety perspective, it's also advisable to carry out risk assessment of the working place designated by the employees. And this is something key to prevent potential liabilities that may arise in the future, for example, in case a work accident takes place in the place designated by the, by the employee. The, the other issue that's, is that the law states that the employer must compensate the employee for any expense related to working remotely, and it refers to that again, the collective bargaining agreement. However, nowadays, a step as a few collective bargaining agreements such as banking or insurance or chemical industry, collective agreements do not set out anything in this regard. So the challenge for the employees is that they 
have to uh, figure out an amount that is going to be paid as compensation. And this is a tricky issue because the, the law does not establish any kind of parameter. Um, besides, the employers must explain how they have decided to pay a specific amount. I mean, uh, they cannot pay unjustified high amounts because uh, otherwise the compensation could be considered salary and therefore subject to taxation and could be also considered uh, when calculating dismissal compensation according to Spanish law. So I think that we will have to wait for the employment inspectorate and Spanish courts to uh, rulings to see what is meant by an adequate compensation of expenses due to working remotely and to if they provide more clarification in this regard. The other issue would be the working time register. The Spanish, Spanish entities must be aware that the employment inspector is going to check if they uh, are fulfilling their obligation to, to keep a, uh, or to have a working time register. The, the aim of this register is to allow the employment inspector to verify if the employers are fulfilling their obligation towards overtime. That is not exceeding the threshold of 80 hours of overtime per year paid financially, and that the remaining overtime shall be compensated with resting time. So the failure to, to keep in set uh, working time register qualified as a serious infringement and, and companies can be sanctioned with fines up to 7,500 euros. And it must be pointed out that the employment inspection is not only going to verify that working time record is implemented, but also its reliability, that it's suspicious that, uh, for example, the, the, uh, everybody starts and finishes uh, at the same time every day. So the, the challenges for the employees is that they should implement a system that matches their reality, but at the same time, leaves it clear that overtime is not something voluntary uh, for employees and that needs to be previously proved by employers. And also to, to clarify that not every time in the office or connected can be considered as working time since there are certain hours due to, for example, personal issues, coffee breaks, uh, personal calls. So a certain margin of deviation should be considered. Yeah, thanks, Christina. That's very interesting, particularly after hearing uh, from Judito in relation to Germany, a very similar reform that's been introduced. Can I just ask in relation to how the working register, the time register is going to be recorded, is there any rule or regulation about the form of which the uh, time recording should be put in place? Or can you, for example, use electronic methods or biometric scanning or swipe cards, or is it online or <laughs> the old fashioned hand paper and pen, someone recording? Is there any guidance that's been provided as to how it is to be recorded? No, not really. There's not any guidance. So, uh, you know, depends on the company. Many companies are just, you know, little, uh, companies are using a paper and you put your name at the hour that you start and finishes. Then others has like an internal Excel uh, that where every employee includes their uh, hours. And then there are a lot of uh, application of softwares uh, that are available that companies are, are implemented. And also you, you can uh, many compass, uh, companies are using the, you know, the entrance at the office uh, with the finger trips uh, and that issues. And this is 
something that is connected also with data, data protection issues. But at the end of the day, if, if the, the data is not considered biometric, it will be justified to because the legal basis would be the fulfillment of a, of a legal obligation. So it's several alternatives. Yes, and 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 uh, many employers from Australia listening to that would find a lot of what you just said very familiar because there's a lot of those methods used in Australia and um, and throughout Asia in relation to record keeping. So very interesting now that it's uh, becoming far more widespread. Thank you, Christina. That's very interesting. Uh, let's head up to uh, the United Kingdom, Crowley. I know everyone's sort of been sort of grappling with a whole range of issues throughout the course of 2021 with Brexit and COVID, et cetera. But uh, is there anything more to look forward to in 2022? Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, there's a couple of things I just wanted to highlight. The first one is that, obviously, I think the changing work patterns for for many office-based workers will continue to dominate the business agenda in 2022. We've seen in the last couple of months many office workers across all all the business sectors returning to the workplace in the UK. However, the the real difference now is that many employers have adopted some sort of hybrid working arrangement. And certainly my experience is that that the popular one is working three days in the office and two days from home. Interestingly, a reoccurring question which I'm being asked by clients is how they should deal with further flexible working requests, which are outside their hybrid working policy. Uh, For example, individual requests to work, say, two days in the office and three from home. In the UK, we have a statutory regime for employees to submit this type of request. And um, incidentally, I should mention that the UK government is consulting on making this regime even more flexible. And potentially in 2022, we may see changes introduced, such as making the right to request flexible working a day one right. Traditionally, however, some employers have preferred to deal with these type of requests informally rather than using the statutory regime. Now that they have a company-wide hybrid flexible working policy in place, I'm being asked whether this should still be considered the the better or right approach. And of course, there's no real right answer to that. But I would suggest that consistency is going to be key, possibly insisting that all such requests are made using that statutory process will ensure that they're going to dovetail with that new hybrid working policy. And additionally, you're minimizing your risk because a consistent approach will lessen or dampen any impact from a discrimination perspective. The second issue I just wanted to to highlight is 2022, we'll see the Queen celebrating her Platinum Jubilee, and there's going to be an additional UK bank holiday on Friday, the 3rd of June. And of course, that's going to be welcomed by many employees having another day off work. But it may be causing a bit of a headache for some UK employers who's going to be wondering how they're going to deal with another bank holiday. To start with, it's important to stress that there's no statutory right for employees to have time off on public and bank holidays. The wording in the employment contract will usually set out whether there's a contractual entitlement to this additional holiday with pay or whether employers have a discretion on how to treat it. 
and where employers have a discretion and decide that they will require uh, an employee to take a day from their annual leave entitlement, they should provide adequate notice to their employees about that. Employers are only required to give notice equal to two times the number of days employees are being asked to take. However, I suggest that to preserve good employee relations, the business position is communicated early. This is a known quantity coming down the line. Um, and that communication should be made as soon as possible so that employees can plan their holidays accordingly. And certainly if, if anyone's unsure about the position or the wording in their contracts, it, uh, please do get in touch with us. Thanks, Crowley. I mean, your first point about the hybrid working arrangements, classic uh, issue that's really sprung out of COVID or been accelerated by COVID and I suspect, yeah, shared by many countries as well. Very interested in the Queen Jubilee birthday holiday. Uh, I'm assuming that's not being extended to the Commonwealth countries funded by Britain, is it? Not to my knowledge, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I certainly put a pitch in for that. But, but otherwise, I imagine that it would be a very unpopular decision by an employer to not allow employees to, to take their bank holiday. I think so. I think, you know, whilst it might be within their contractual right to deny an employee the public holiday, I think it would have to be very specific uh, to the particular work that's being done because the general position adopted by almost all employers will be that they, they extend that holiday to employees. So you'd be very much an outlier unless you had very specific justification based on role. Don't try and get in touch with anyone in the UK on, on that day, Crowley, but what I'm hearing. Including the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thank you, Crowley. Let's jump back over uh, the English Channel uh, to France and to Paris. Jordan, welcome and very interested to hear what you're looking at for 2022 in France. Thank you, Stephen. So in France for 2022, we will be looking at principally in internal investigations and international remote working. So internal investigations. Over the past year, our clients have been facing an increase of internal investigations, and we can already state that this topic will be even widely developed in 2022. Internal investigation is the process initiated and led by the company to determine and confirm or deny the suspicion of a wrongful act committed by one or more employees. From a French employment standpoint, we usually deal with harassment, whether it is sexual or moral harassment, discrimination, or even health and safety related issues. If internal investigations are not regulated by the French Labour Code, the employer must, however, comply with some key principles laid down by case law. To conduct an internal investigation, different stakeholders are involved and different steps must be followed, which requires, in most cases, the assistance of a lawyer. The first step, is for the employer to set up an independent and impartial investigation committee. Interview must then be conducted with the alleged victim, with the other employees as witnesses, and with the suspect on the basis of a pre-established questionnaire that we provide our client with. At the end of the interviews, the investigation committee draws up an investigation report, summarizing notably the main steps of the investigation and the conclusion of the investigation while avoiding specifying the consequences for the persons involved. The last step, but not the least, is the outcome of the investigation. The company must decide whether disciplinary sanction can or cannot be taken. 
without being a technical subject, it is a very sensitive one for which we bring legal support to our clients and which will definitely be one of the top workplace issues in France for 2022. My second subject in France for the year to come is the international remote working. Working remotely from abroad, from abroad for a French employer sounded unthinkable two years ago, and it is now one of the most significant outcomes of this new workplace shaped by COVID. Although French law makes no reference to the possibility of working remotely from abroad, it doesn't prevent it. International home working is growing among French companies and raises a number of legal issues that have not yet been fully resolved. For instance, which is the applicable law? Where does the employer pay the social security contributions? What are the constraints in terms of immigration? What travel expenses must be covered by the employer? And what about working hours in case of time difference? In the best case scenario, the employee will inform his employer well in advance and both parties can carefully review the consequences of this decision on a case-by-case -case basis and according to the rules applicable in host country, depending, for example, on whether the employee will be working within or outside the EU. We can already assume that the employer will have at least to register with the social security services of the host country and have to issue pay slips in accordance with local regulation. The employee on his hand will have to pay his own taxes in the country where he is living. For the rest of the question, a case-by-case -case study must be carried out. In any case, this is definitely an issue we will be monitoring closely in 2022, hoping to see the implementation of a legal framework allowing notably the possibility for employers to deny international homeworking if it goes against the company's own interests or to contractually limit the consequences such as the coverage of the travel expenses, which is a question we get a lot, or even create a European remote worker status with specific regulation and clear guidelines. Thanks, Jordan. That's, uh, yes, very interesting developments in terms of what you're foreseeing for France in 2022. Uh, just uh, a couple of questions. Firstly, in relation to the internal investigations, uh, you mentioned at the outset that you're expecting an increase in the number of um, matters that would need to be investigated. Uh, just wondering, is that because, for example, of a lot greater scrutiny in France as a result of, for example, media attention or government or, or social media attention? Just like the international remote working was shaped by COVID, the, the increase of internal investigation has been shaped by everything that happened over the past five years, maybe, like the, the Me Too movement. We have seen a lot of whistleblowing uh, groups on social media, uh, putting the company uh, at risk and saying that this company company is, uh, has managerial malpractices and everybody is testifying about it. So now companies are very careful. And the first thing they do when they hear that something happened in their own company, they just contact us and we implement uh, an internal investigation. Yeah. And I'm assuming also then needing to review policies and procedures. and Yeah. Code of conduct. This is something that we've been done recently and we haven't been done before. This is something that's very growing uh, over the past few years and even more the, the past year in 2021. Thanks, Jordan. And then in your second very interesting issue around international remote working, uh, apart from uh, looking forward to seeing you coming down to Australia to work, uh, I'm assuming for French nationals going to work in Tahiti or Mauritius uh, wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, Mauritius had been closed for France since 
since yesterday. <laughs> so no, no, yeah, exactly. this is not possible. But yeah, yeah, this is a, this. We, we didn't get any question about Tahiti or Mauritius, but we got some question that very similar <laughs> to that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jordan. Thank I, you. And I think a, a number of countries are probably also facing uh, a lot of employees who are uh, choosing to work from other countries because of COVID restrictions and the ability to move and or to easily get home. Okay, let's head over to the Asia Pacific region. And joining me is Karen Mitra from our Singapore office, heading up our practice in Asia. All right, Karen, what are the two big issues facing our clients in Asia? Thanks, Stephen. So I think the two issues that I wanted to talk about uh, that we see of being of prominence uh, in 2022 are workplace discrimination and flexible working. I'll start with the discrimination uh, because obviously that's a fairly significant change that's been proposed in, in Singapore. So in the last two years, we've really seen an increased awareness of and public discourse regarding discrimination in Singapore, particularly as it relates to access to housing and to employment opportunities. Singapore doesn't have dedicated anti-discrimination legislation, but rather since 2006, the Tripartite Alliance for Fair and Progressive Employment Practices has had the role of promoting the adoption of fair and progressive employment practices through various guidelines. And while they're non-binding, there have been administrative penalties that can be imposed by the government in the event of non-compliance. They're essentially uh, anti-discrimination guidelines. But more significantly, during the 2021 National Day Rally, the Singapore government announced it will formally legislate the guidelines regarding workplace discrimination and create a dedicated anti-discrimination tribunal, which has been broadly interpreted as a statement that Singapore will enact common law style anti-discrimination legislation. We're expecting the tripartite committee to provide its recommendations to the government regarding the form of the legislation in the first half of 2022. There's a few key things that we're really keeping an eye on. So, for example, the particular characteristics that are to be protected by the legislation, whether the legislation will prohibit both direct and indirect discrimination, uh, as well as the remedies that will be available in the event of discrimination. One of the biggest concerns raised by advocates regarding the guidelines in their current form is that the administrative penalties imposed by the government don't provide any redress to the individual who has suffered the discrimination. It's possible we may end up with an approach similar to that initially taken by Hong Kong, where the anti-discrimination ordinance was initially limited to the granting of personal remedies only in the event of direct discrimination uh, before it was gradually expanded to include more protected characteristics and to provide remedies in the event of indirect discrimination as well. And then finally, the scope of the exceptions that will be included in the legislation and whether or not there will be any provision made for special measures. Most multinational employers already have anti-discrimination policies in place in Singapore. However, as things develop, they may need to adjust these based on the specific provisions of any legislation that's implemented here on the ground. The second issue that employers will need to grapple with is the extension of the flexible work arrangements as employees return to the office in the new year. Uh, we're a little bit behind Europe and Australia when it comes to the return to the office, uh, and we haven't actually gone back yet and are unlikely to do so until 2021. Um, unlike in the UK and Australia, employees don't have a statutory right to flexible work arrangements, uh, and prior to 2020, work from home arrangements were extremely uncommon. Part-time work job share arrangements uh, still remain very uncommon even following periods of parental leave. So perhaps fortuitously, timing-wise, in 2019, the tripartite partners had introduced a particular standard about flexible working arrangements, and it included a very Australian-style request process, whereby employees could make a request that would be considered within 21 days, uh, and if it was refused, an employer would have to provide reasons for its refusal. But this was just something that employees were encouraged to consider 
uh, and adopt. It wasn't something that was mandatory. Uh, but as we've seen across the globe, a lot of employees have preferred the flexibility of work from home or flexible arrangements in the last two years uh, and want to continue those arrangements. And I don't think that Singapore will be any different uh, in that respect, other than it will be coming from a place where flexible working arrangements have never been the norm. Uh, and it, so it won't necessarily be the case that as many employers are going to adopt the hybrid model that others have talked about, although that's more likely for MNCs. There might also be some particular challenges given that currently Singapore law uh, requires employers to provide tools and other necessary facilities to allow employees to work from home, uh, but that's a specific requirement given the current circumstances. So employers are going to need to manage the tension between well, that requirement and the new office entry requirement rules that start on the 1st of January that allow an employer to negatively assess the performance of certain employees on the basis of their continued absence from office uh, in circumstances where they're unvaccinated. So what we really expect to see in 2022, more employers having to formulate for the first time ever and implement in Singapore dedicated flexible working policies uh, as hybrid working models become the norm and employers and settle on an approach uh, to this particular issue. Wow, Karen, that's a lot of issues coming through in Singapore right now. I was just formulating in my own mind one scenario that could combine both of your issues, which might be along the lines of someone who refuses to get vaccinated on religious grounds which would bring into play both your flexible working and entry into premises and potentially the discrimination bill. Absolutely. It just goes to, to show that there's been an absolute rapid growth of employment law uh, in the Asia-Pacific region in the last few years. Absolutely, employers will be seeking more and more guidance on these types of issues and more and more issues to work through. Can I just also ask you within Singapore, is there any discrimination in relation to the provision of services? So it is something which you see in a number of countries, including, for example, in Australia, which aligns with an employment law discrimination as well? No, so there's no anti-discrimination legislation uh, at all. There's some very limited rules uh, prohibiting discrimination in other pieces of legislation. So, for example, in maternity leave legislation and industrial relations legislation uh, with respect to union members, but, but nothing uh, more, more generally. And I think one of the things that, that we'll also be looking at for with respect to this legislation is, is the scope of coverage. For example, will it just... Uh, extend only to kind of recruitment activities when it comes to employment or, or will it extend to the entirety of the employment relationship uh, and, and will it go that extra step further and, and cover the types of issues that it would cover in the rest of the common law world for example access to services partnerships um, schools and those types of things and all of that remains to be seen. Yeah well certainly looking forward to 2022 then thanks Karen. Turning then to and finally to Australia the two issues that we've identified coming into the frame for employers in Australia for 2022, firstly, what we call the war for talent, been around for quite a while, but is going to be even more intense, we anticipate, moving forward. And the second is uh, that we're facing an election. We have an election about every three years or so, sometimes a bit sooner, and we've got one next year. So just to focus on those briefly, the war for talent, look, we've had closed borders as a number of countries have had, but as an island nation, been very effective in keeping COVID out to most parts of Australia, but it's had the impact that we've not had any immigration into the country. So there is a shortage of skilled, both skilled and unskilled workers, actually. The difficulty we're going to have with opening the borders is not so much that we're going to get a flood of immigration into the country, but more that we're likely to see quite a number of people wanting to leave to work abroad. And so we're probably going to have a skill shortage and a, a, a general worker shortage throughout the course of 2022, and employers are already uh, experiencing that, but we expect that that will increase over the course of the year. 
Now that's going to be a challenge for employers because they're going to have to focus on how they can both attract but also retain their good people. Uh, in fact, probably all of their people because of the, the shortage in, in labour within the country. And I suspect whilst some are going to leave for new experiences and, and that's uh, simply because they've been locked into the country for so long, for many employees who are just looking for a change or wondering whether they should make a change um, between employers, the challenge for those employers is going to be, well, how do we keep them from leaving? And uh, increasingly, it's going to be uh, in part financial, but more relevantly, probably the non-financial attractions for people to stay where they are. And it's going to be things like the culture and the leadership of the organisation, making sure that there's personal recognition in relation to the work that's being performed, conversations with them about the way in which they're progressing, their career development, skilling up managers to have those discussions, and more particularly looking at some innovative ways in which people can feel as though they're being included and have a future with the organisation. So those softer skills, but um, very important in terms of making sure that the, the retention of employees is achieved. And there's still going to be things like payments, retention payments, competitive salaries, sign-on bonuses, etc. And the construction of contractual terms is going to be obviously very important in that space. But we see that as a, a real area for focus for most employers in Australia in the coming year. Uh, and then finally, the second issue in Australia, as I mentioned, the federal election that's coming up is due to be held uh, by about May of 2022. And in Australia, it's the purview of the Prime Minister to select when the election will be held. We don't know when that will be yet, so it's still up in the air, but it will be sometime in that first six months of next year. Uh, we expect the election is going to throw up a range of different policy platforms from both parties, but on the employment space, we anticipate that there is going to be a greater focus on some of the issues that we've mentioned today, particularly around security of employment, especially for the gig and digital economy, and also as to whether or not the model of workplace relations that we have in Australia is fit for purpose. So we have a very traditional model of work laws and, and regulations fashioned around what are known as awards and enterprise agreements, which apply collectively. But the question really is, is as to whether or not a more flexible and modern system of industrial relations is something which uh, either of the major political parties is willing to, to start to look into and whether as we've heard throughout the course of our discussion today, some of the achievements in relation to flexibility and the desire to take advantage of the work from home arrangements are going to be taken into account in the way the policy positions for the next election are set from a legislative perspective. So there are issues which I know many employers have a keen interest in in Australia, and uh, we're looking forward to working with and advising our clients uh, on all of those matters as we move forward into 2022. That brings us to the end of our session, and so I'd like to thank our panellists, Judita, Christina, Crowley, Jordan and Karen for their insightful contributions. I hope you found them interesting and of value, I know I did, and that there are some things for you to take away to think about and planning for the year ahead. All that leaves is for me to say is thank you once again to our valued listeners. We really appreciate your ongoing support, and on behalf of the entire Ashurst employment team, I'd like to wish all of you and your families a safe and restful end of year break, and we look forward to catching up with you again in the new year. Thanks and bye for now. If you enjoy Ashurst Legal Outlook, why not check out our other two podcast series as well? Ashurst Business Agenda tackles the big strategic issues that business leaders face. 
and ESG Matters at Ashurst reveals how business leaders are rising to mounting environmental, social and governance challenges. You can listen and subscribe to Business Agenda and ESG Matters wherever you get your podcasts.